Before we start the show, I'd like to highlight a correction. On this episode, we incorrectly stated that Oregon counties start counting ballots on Election Day. Counties can start scanning ballots up to one week before Election Day with the state's approval. Multnomah County, for example, plans to start scanning ballots on Wednesday the 28th. We regret the error. Here's the show. Oregonians love vote by mail. Do we actually know how it works? I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, politics editor Betsy Hammond talks about the nitty-gritty details behind our vote-by-mail system and the task ahead for much of the rest of the country as states are now trying to figure out, during a pandemic no less, what Oregon has been refining since 1998. We talked about voter turnout, what to expect on election night, and how she's helped lead the newsroom's decision desk since 2008 to call races quickly and accurately. Here's our conversation. Betsy Hammond, thanks so much for taking time to talk today. Glad to be with you, Andrew. So vote by mail is really having this national moment in 2020, thanks to the pandemic and states changing their priorities or making it more accessible. But most Oregonians seem to love this system. And I'm wondering if you can remind us how long we've had it and how it works here in Oregon. Oregon has been exclusively a vote by mail state since 1998. So this is the 22nd year where all balloting is being done by mail or on paper in advance. What historically has turnout look like in, let's just stick to the Portland metro area, uh, when do people normally turn in their ballots? Um, and we're talking for disclosure here on Wednesday. Um, so, you know, uh, thousands of more folks are probably already turning in ballots in the coming days. That's been an interesting pattern to watch. When vote by mail was new, most people voted by mail. Folks knew that they needed to get that ballot in the mail early. They were perhaps excited about, for the first time, being able to vote at their leisure at home with plenty Mm -hmm. of materials in front of them. And lots of people voted as soon as they got their ballot or within a week of getting their ballot. That was most typical. And then there were some last-minute procrastinators who needed to (laughs) uh, not vote by mail, but vote by getting to a Dropbox. As Folks got more experience voting by mail, more comfortable with mailing and dropping off ballots. And I think perhaps also as they realized that there's a lot of volatility in the election information that comes out mm-hmm. as we get close to an election. Most campaigns save a lot of their fire for once people have their ballots. And so it becomes an important time. People, especially if people who are on the fence, may wait to make sure they've learned everything possible about a candidate or measure. And so more and more and more, we watched a migration to people mailing at the last minute, which is generally the Thursday, but has been the Thursday before the election, mm-hmm. or dropping off. And it got to the point where easily most of the balloting happened in the last week and 40% often would of the ballots that are returned would come in on the final day that is something we saw change a bit um, in the primary and special elections we had earlier this year in Oregon. And I think we're, we're seeing signs and we would predict that we're going to see 
we've already seen and we'll continue to see much more early voting. Um, the reasons for that include coronavirus. Um, mm-hmm. Folks are would prefer to mail rather than go to a potentially crowded ballot drop site. High motivation. People are very excited about some of the votes they are casting for and against certain candidates and measures. And concerns about postal system speed. We've all noticed, or many of us have noticed, that mail seems to be taking a bit longer to get from point A to point B, and folks want to be absolutely sure that their vote is counted. So I still predict we'll see a slew of votes come in, dropped in on the final day. I don't think that uh, we as Oregonians have completely lost our propensity to procrastinate, (laughs) but a far greater share of ballots may be counted early and very early, which is great news for journalists who are wanting to uh, tell voters and readers and listeners what happened on election night. And we can therefore anticipate having a higher share of ballots that are going to be cast, teed up and ready to count, therefore reportable to to the public at 8.05 p.m. on election night. Yeah, you kind of read my mind there, Betsy, that I'm wondering what problems our system has historically caused on election night because of the system that we had. Uh, the problems have been very, very slight. The state has upgraded the software that it uses to for uh, county elections uh, offices to input vote tally information, mm-hmm. and they've upgraded their displays on the Secretary of State's website. Those weren't a problem in the past, but they they look better and they function more quickly now. Not surprisingly, as technology has advanced since 22 years ago when when we began this system, there is still the opportunity to cast a ballot as late as 7.55 p.m. on election night. And you can show up at the county elections office and say, I didn't get a ballot. And that means that if you were registered, but perhaps inactive, you mm-hmm. still live in the same county, you're still uh, eligible to vote, but the ballot that was prepared for you no longer reflects your address. So you may have a different, be in a different Oregon House district, or you have may have moved out of a certain water district or into a new uh, parks district. They want to, they have to prepare a ballot that matches the voter's current address. That takes time. And if a lot of voters wait and do that on the last day, it gets kind of gummy. There are also situations where some tiny counties aren't, you know, their county clerks have a lot to do and elections aren't their only responsibility. And they go to bed before they turn the, all the results in, or they're driving the 40 miles to a distant uh, ballot pickup site um, and don't drop results at 8 o'clock or even at 9 o'clock. But those things are have generally been a, a question of timing, not accuracy, the vote count, and pretty minor. Yeah, usually we kind of, like you said, we know what, what the deal is on many of these races by 8.05 on election night, and there's no reason locally that we will have any questions um, about about the overall state of things on election night this year, right? Well, I think that's perhaps overstating the amount of confidence that we have <laughs> uh, when we get those early returns. There are certain races where that's true. For example, uh, we haven't had much volatility in our U.S. House and Senate races in a number of years. Um, and those, for example, I think we probably can call Earl Blumenauer's race an overwhelmingly 
overwhelmingly blue por- parts of Portland for the congressman at, as you say, kind of 805. But there are many other examples of races, both for measures and for candidates that we know or have many signs that they'll be very close. There are contests in districts where we know registration, um, party registration is is fairly competitive. And so we have to be cautious at eight o'clock or, or at 8.30 when we're looking at results and thinking that we know the answer, because it's definitely the case that last day voting does not match up perfectly with advance voting. So the, all those ballots that I described being teed up, ready to be counted at eight o'clock on election morning, voters, those voters collectively may have had a very different opinion about certain candidates and measures than the, the procrastinators I talked about who, um, or the, the, the folks who wanted to wait to the last minute and make absolutely sure they knew everything about a race or candidate before they turned in their ballot. Those folks may have had a very different opinion, and you can see things migrate over the evening. In addition, we haven't really talked about the role of geography. Mm -hmm. Uh, Historically, last day voting um, was heavily skewed toward Multnomah, Clackamas, and Washington counties, perhaps because of proximity of drop boxes. Folks, voters in the rural Oregon communities has historically, you know, been been a journalist friend and voted plenty, (laughs) plenty of times so that their ballots are counted right at eight o'clock. In addition, those counties are dealing with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of ballots as Multnomah or Washington clerks, county election officials, maybe they're dealing with a smaller number. So at eight o'clock, we may know how very in a very complete manner or in a more complete manner, how um, non- Metropolitan Oregon has voted, but there, there would there. I can't imagine this won't be the case again this year. It tends to be Multnomah County, Lane County, perhaps Marion County, Clackamas County, and Washington County. So places that are uh, where the parties are relatively even, where Democrats have a slight registration edge, or where Democrats have an overwhelming registration edge. And so we know historically that on a state measure or candidate, if they look very closely tied at eight o'clock, that's likely to change. And it's more likely to change that the the Democratic position or candidate will will gain relative to the other side. But it's a huge danger to overgeneralize about that. But for example, I called the race between Chris Dudley and John Kitzhaber for John Kitzhaber while John Kitzhaber was behind. Mm. That was controversial with some in my newsroom when I said, we are definitely going to print a giant headline that says John Kitzhaber has won, while yes, we can all look at the state website and at our tallies and show that he's behind by thousands of votes to Chris Dudley. And I just you know, strongly made the mathematical case. Here are the number, tens of thousands of votes we know aren't counted. They're virtually all in Multnomah County. We can look at how how the huge margin by which John Kitzhaber has prevailed over Chris Dudley, specifically among Multnomah County voters, and there is just no way this edge is going to hold up. And that was found to be persuasive. And John Kitzhaber did beat Chris Dudley. Now, it was a 49% to 48% race, but that was separated by the tens of thousands of votes that I had had predicted, and we were safe landing where we did. So, 
again, it would be an oversimplification to say we have a really good sense of how things stand immediately after the ballot deadline. Let's take a break and come back and talk more with Betsy Hammond, politics editor for The Oregonian Oregon Life. So, Betsy, you had the opportunity recently to participate in a conference call with politics editors from newsrooms around the country. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that call and kind of the things that stood out to you. I participated only as a listener. I want to clarify that. But it was really great um, because these are my people, folks who are running decision desks at Fox and CNN and the Associated Press and other um, networks and major news outlets. They were talking very openly about the challenges they face and some, some of the decision points they're going to rely on as they call the presidential race for their national outlets. Mm-hmm. and they were really grappling because this advanced concept of mass advanced voting, which is old hat here in Oregon, is very new to them. And they, you know, have all kinds of uncertainty and, and new ways that they have to think because you don't get exit polls when people don't go to a poll, but rather they vote from home. You don't know how many people are going to, or, or how many ballots were cast at the end of election day because they're still going through this process that I described of verifying that an envelope that came through the door is actually a vote. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty and it was wonderful to hear them think through um, and, and gain new caution about how they would make these calls. And fundamentally, the rest of the country is grappling with the dilemma that I just um, talked with you about. We may know a lot from advanced voting about what those totals look like, but we can't assume that that foretells what election day voting will look like. And so all states that have a form of advanced voting, whether that was you know allowing people to come to vote early physically, whether they had certain absentee ballots or whether like us, they have massive vote by mail, all states are going to have some form of votes that either are physically cast in person at a poll on election day or as in Oregon where special paper ball- a written vote that comes in by mail or by drop off is only tallied on election day or after election day. We can talk more about that. Um, and that happens in Oregon. We don't, particularly in Multnomah County, the, there are shifts who stay up at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and 4 a.m., but the final ballots are not tallied ever on election night. There's always some to count, at least the next morning. Um, And so networks and the AP said, we're going to be a lot more cautious this year. We're going to look for a wider margin before we make a call that a candidate has won the race. They said just because a candidate concedes doesn't mean the candidate has actually lost. And just because a candidate claims victory doesn't mean the candidate has actually won. It's a question of mathematics, specifically addition. (laughs) And since we, um, since there's so much unknown about election day voting versus advance voting, the totals we'll see are primarily from advance voting. Folks are going to be uh, quite cautious um, when interpreting those results and are, are vowing to um, 
compete to be correct, not to compete to be first. Well, we'll see if that actually plays out. I mean, that's that's encouraging as a as a interested bystander slash citizen of this country. But um, I, I guess uh, there's so many unknowns and external factors like um, like the president and uh, what he's going to say or do. Right, but I think there's going to be a lot of pressure from these decision teams to their, as they call them, you know, the on-air talent and such, mm-hmm. not to cave to that to to understand and to explain to viewers and to readers that math um, will determine this election. Oh, and they're also going to do a lot more to show, tell folks what they know and what they don't know. AP's decision desk folks said that normally their uh, dispatch out to clients was 16 words. You know, the Associated Press calls the race for this office for this candidate Mm -hmm. over and out. Uh, this year, they are going to make sure that they say a lot more about if they call the state of Pennsylvania or Ohio or Florida for a particular candidate, they're going to explain the basis on which they did so. And in when they aren't calling races or aren't calling states, they're going to explain what's still unknown that is causing them to withhold reaching a conclusion about that. I think it'll be a really, really interesting night for listeners and viewers. I find that fascinating. Some people may end up finding that extremely infuriating. But again, I would caution to uh, respect the math. Do you think um, you mentioned it's going to be an interesting night? Do you think that night is going to stretch into multiple days or weeks? Or did you get a sense of whether the national networks and bigger news sources are approaching it that way? Um, I will say on the call, folks emphasized and pushed back against the assertion that we would broadly be expected to go many, many days and weeks. Um, Certainly, it seemed that they thought it was possible that it would take a couple of days, maybe a few days at most. And they were trying to emphasize that's not a sign that the system is broken. Mm -hmm. That would mean the system is working, but that, you know, vote totals in some places are close. And as we talked about earlier, the process of verifying and counting an advanced ballot can be time-consuming. And again, remember that Oregon has lots of practice at that um, right. and has you know, perfected the, the machines that work best for our system. Other states have had much, much, much less time to prepare for this, and it is going to take time. Um, they did give the example of the one state where um, a special election conducted under these circumstances did take days and days and days. Um, uh, perhaps stretching past a week, mm-hmm. um, and that was New York. But folks cautioned that New York is an extreme outlier. New York doesn't allow any processing of these advanced ballots, mail ballots, um, uh, absentee ballots, until after the polls have closed or after the election deadline has ended. So picture Oregon trying, instead of as, as the process we described earlier, trying at 8 o'clock to start the first opening of an envelope and checking of an address to make sure that only one ballot came in from from the voter, the correct voter there, let alone, you know, signature verification and all the rest of that. So New York did take even with, when it wasn't swamped with millions and millions and millions of ballots, as I understand it, did take um, quite a bit of time to count 
but that is they're the only state that conducts the elections in that manner. Well, let's turn our our uh, brains and ears back to to Oregon. Um, how how long have you led our coverage on on election night? I believe I've been doing this since two thousand eight. And when you say led our coverage, I mean I have worked right. for and with a series of extremely capable politics editors who've overseen the writing, the reporting. All what I'm doing is is what these other outlets call the decision desk. I'm uh, overseeing the crew that is tabulating numbers, analyzing numbers, looking at historical records, using our proprietary method um, that we have developed to to um, make the smartest calls that we can. We want to call races as soon as we possibly can, but we our highest priority is to call them accurately. And so... Um, that's the yep. team that I've led. And my understanding, my team's understanding of that has – of how we best do that and what the potential um, – just some patterns and pitfalls to be aware of, that has improved greatly um, since the first time I did it. I will say I made an error, a significant error uh, – once, and hopefully I can say that that will be only once, um, just this year. So um, I need to be careful about boasting about how much, pro- too much about how much progress I've made. M- my problem was that I had additional duties this mm-hmm. uh, May and didn't, that proprietary system that I referred to earlier, I did not have the time. I did not take the time to uh, fully flesh that out as I have every other time, and it really uh, hurt me. Um, I, uh, to my great shame, uh, called the very important pr- uh, primary race for, for the, between the Democratic candidates um, to, to run for Secretary of State for the wrong candidate. And um, that was a terrible uh, mistake. I apologize to both candidates um, the newspaper apologized in person to both of the candidates and we will make every effort to never repeat anything like that again. And certainly I have learned from that mistake. Yeah. And for transparency, that's the Shamia Fagan, Mark Hass um, primary from this May that Ms. Fagan won and is on the ballot facing Republican challenger, uh, Kim Thatcher. Correct. So just to kind of round it out, um, you know, this is, we're learning so many different things this year about working remotely. Now we have done a primary uh, election working remotely and covering races remotely and calling races remotely. But like, what challenges does that pose for you? <laughs> I know you've been busy planning this and, and for us uh, in the newsroom as we try to, um, you know, do our best work and get things right. Well, I, I think your question goes to a lot of things, but I, if I narrow it specifically to what we've been focusing on in terms of understanding, interpreting results on election night and making the call, um, I will let you know that we will be going as a team, in, in as a decision desk team, into the newsroom for the first time since March 17th. So there will be 10 of us who will be physically present where we can in the same room, wave our arms, um, see facial expressions ab- above a mask. So eyes um, shout um, 
and otherwise be in our usual collaborative space as yet another check to make sure that we are making the most accurate possible calls for for our uh, loyal readership across many, 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 many races that we will be uh, watching. Why is it important to have have that uh, that group of people in person? There's a lot of collaboration that goes on there between myself, other editors, our technology experts. We want to make sure that we truly best understand information that we are looking at together and that we can signal very visibly with, you know, waved arms where there's a, yeah. a problem or when it has really come to the decision, potential decision point in a particular race. Having been a part of those teams, um, one of many people on those teams in in elections over the last eight years, yeah, it's almost unfathomable to not be there in person, right? I mean, it it is kind of a... a all hands on deck, very physical thing. Absolutely. And many years we've called, you know, 20 races in 20 minutes. Uh, There is a a level of adrenaline and a level of urgency and a level of just a mammoth amount of information coming at us. And we want to be as best possibly equipped to make the smartest, most accurate calls. So we will be there. Lastly, before I let you go, I mean, this ballot and this year feels momentous, I guess, just because for any number of things, because of the, you know, the the candidates at the top of the ticket and, um, you know, both sides calling this, you know, the election of our lifetime, which I guess we also said in 2016, but here we are. Um, does this feel you know, given everything we've discussed, like it is a momentous election or, um, you know, is it just kind of, <laughs> it's not that different other than the pandemic? Um, I would land more toward the end of that. Um, every election is momentous <laughs> in my mind. Every election is essential, is extremely newsworthy. And I wouldn't put this one for Oregon in a different category other than that the pandemic does create new wrinkles, shall we say. That's partially because I think a lot of the national conversation about the momentous nature of this year's election uh, revolves around the presidential election. And that's not my job. That's not something the Oregonian newsroom is focused on. Um, We don't have a DC bureau. Uh, We don't have the inside knowledge about what's happening in other states. We understand Oregon and we will absolutely call with precision um, which Oregon counties uh, vote for uh, which presidential candidate and by what proportion. And certainly we will accurately report uh, what Oregon's vote is in that presidential race and, you know, therefore how our electoral college uh, votes will will line up. But um, we, fo- we focus on what we know best, which is all the Oregon and local candidates and measures. And this year, for example, we have four statewide measures. I've worked elections where we had 12. And uh, (laughs) we had all eyes of the nation on us when we were voting on whether or not to legalize recreational marijuana. The eyes of the nation are not similarly looking at whether we allow campaign finance limits. That's crucial for us, but it's not uh, an of national import. So yeah. this is a very momentous election. 
election night results are going to be incredibly important, but that was true as well in 2008 and 2010 and 2012 and 2016. So, um, yeah, people might be looking to us for the psilocybin measure, but that might fall, you know, after the fact, because there's so much else going on. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I think that's been kind of a sleeper in national circles in terms of that topic. Um, if Oregon voters do legalize it and it uh, begins to be used in that manner here, I'm sure there'll be a lot of coverage of that. Well, Betsy, thanks so much for your leadership on all this and for taking time to talk about it. All right. Well, stay tuned for election night and all eyeballs should be at OregonLive.com that evening. We'll have the most accurate, comprehensive, up to the minute report that you're going to see. So thanks for talking about this, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. We started this podcast one year ago. What a year it's been. This is the 66th episode of the podcast and the 42nd we've recorded and produced from my basement. That's hard to believe. Thank you to podcast's editor, Elliot Noose, who produced this episode for all of his insight and work during the past year. And thanks to all of my colleagues for their amazing journalism that forms the backbone of this show. And thanks to listeners who have helped grow our audience. If you like what we've done in the past year, give us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts and tell a friend. Until next time.